We're winding up a series today. It is called Restless, What Keeps You Up at Night? And the last thing we're going to talk about is my time in this world is running out. Jim, an ardent Hoosier fan, just made it to Assembly Hall uh, before the tip-off of the big game. Now, everybody that sat around Jim were ardent Hoosier fans. And he gets it down and he sort of looks around and looks over at uh, the elderly Mr. and Mrs. Jones and notices that it's just Mrs. Jones. There's an empty seat between them. And he said, Mrs. Jones, he said, where's your husband? And she dropped her head and, and she said, well, my, my husband passed away. And he says, oh, oh, I am, I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I didn't know that. And then he thought for a moment and then he said, well, couldn't you have found a friend to come with you today so you wouldn't feel so lonely? And she says, no, no, not today. They're all at his funeral. (laughs) Are you surprised at the number of humorous stories and jokes around death? I'm not. Because humor is one of our ways of deflecting a subject that we don't like to talk about. We do everything that we can to avoid using the word death, dead, or dying. As a matter of fact, I I looked in a resource this week that said we in the English language have 96 euphemisms for death. 96 ways to say death without saying death. Some of them are are tender. We speak of loved ones who have passed away or passed on or resting in peace or departed or they've gone home, they've crossed over Jordan, they've been laid to rest. We have a few less than tender ones. Bought the farm, pushing up daisies, six feet under, kicked the bucket, on the wrong side of the sod and more. But we use them all for the same purpose and that is to make it easier to bear to help us cope with the most difficult, restless subject that we face. And regardless, the whole subject of death keeps a lot of people up at night, whether it is your own impending death or the death of someone that you care deeply for. There is not a week goes by but what we face death here at Sherwood Oaks, whether it is a funeral or whether it is the news of someone's terminal illness or a loved one who is continuing to work through the processes of grief and is struggling through that or as in this past weekend when the world was brought to its knees in grief over the terrorist attacks in Paris. There is nothing natural, pleasant, or easy about death. I'm going to ask you to do something for me this morning. If you have lost a loved one, a family member, or a dear friend in death in the last two years or so, would you please stand and remain standing? Now, look around you. There are more people standing than sitting which is a graphic reminder of the pain that every family faces at some point in time. Now, would the rest of you please stand with them and join them? And I would like to pray for you during this time of healing. Because you see, in that first year after a person dies, there's a grieving process. Every first is tough. The first anniversary, the first birthday, the first holidays that come along. In the second year, the grieving process is still taking over. And sometimes it is a sound It is a sight, it is a song, 
it is even sometimes a certain smell that brings an avalanche of tears and sorrow right to our midst. Because you see, grief is hard. Letting go is hard. Dealing with death is just awful. Let me pray with you. Well, Father in heaven, the creator and the sustainer of life, the one who has made possible a way to escape death ultimately. I ask for your peace, your comfort, your strength. For these of our family here who have suffered through the death of someone that they care about dearly. And Father, I pray for those who are anticipating their own deaths in a short time because they've gotten bad news from medical tests and from their doctor. Lord, I just pray that your continual grace, your mercy, your comfort, your peace will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you that in the midst of our grief, we have your hope through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I'm also grateful for the number of people, some in our own midst here that you'll see on the video in just a second, who help reach out to other people in this dying process. Hospice and those who work in it do a marvelous job of helping through this last transition of life. Watch. I feel like there definitely is a difference when a patient and family have a strong faith base and those that do not. So many of our patients that we see, uh, they have a great hope they know that there's something better. Yeah, there's, there's a lady that we're caring for, and uh, when I sat down to meet with her and kind of talk about hospice, um, one of the first things she told me was that she wasn't afraid to die, and it was because she knew that the afterlife and, and heaven was something that she was excited for. Um, she had lived a good long life and that she wasn't scared. She was comfortable. She wasn't afraid of, of dying and the dying process because she knew that she was gonna be taken care of and that she was gonna be watched over and there were better things coming for her. So the fact that she was able to share that herself not only made the process easier for her, but even more so for the family. Some of our challenges come when uh, maybe the children are not strong in their faith and they just want us to keep doing one more thing for mom or dad. They want things to be prolonged. The other thing that we notice is then people who have maybe no faith whatsoever that uh, any kind of relationship with God or any other type of entity they might believe in, uh, if it's not there, then we see a whole lot more struggling with uh, trying to get the dying process accomplished. Uh, it can be the patient themselves, it can be the children, uh, but it is much more of a struggle. Uh, we see documentation uh, and know ourselves that more medication needs to be used with people who have this, you know, this great fear. It's not until that kind of crisis time that their faith base will show forth, or if they don't have a faith base, that they begin to ask more questions. They begin to really open up to areas that they never used to in their life. I've seen many times when, even right before the patients are dying, they will see, they'll say, you know, do you see the angels? They're here. And those are the deaths that, um, that I've got to witness that I just cherish because I do believe that, that the angels do come to usher all of us into uh, the presence of God. I can verify what they've experienced. Those who come to this moment in time, 
with faith. Handle it all together differently. And the, the presence of hope is visible in the face, in the sound of the voice, and in all that they do. Knowing Jesus Christ makes all the difference. I, I just want to take a couple moments to, to talk about two truths because, you see, in all of our thinking, um, all of our speculation, I, I really want to know what God has to say. That's more important than anything. And so, uh, the first thing I want to address is our time in this world is limited. That's a biblical truth. Our time in this world is limited. Uh, but, and before we go any farther, I, I really think it'd be good if we defined what death is from a biblical standpoint of view. We use the word death in a lot of different ways, but when the Bible speaks of death, what does it really mean? Well, the word is defined very simply as separation. Physical death occurs when the spirit or the soul separates from the body. The apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. What's absent from the body? The real you, your soul, your spirit. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we know that the body of Jesus was entombed on Friday and Saturday and it didn't come back to life until Sunday. But Jesus said, today you'll be with me. Their spirits, their souls were in paradise. Spiritual death is also a separation. It is separation from God. And sin and disobedience to God puts a barrier of our choosing between us and him. It's not God's choice. It's our choice because we have been disobedient to him. Now, now maybe if you think about it like this, it'll help. Let's suppose that a father says to his child, you cannot do drugs in this house. That's the rule. Now, it's the father's house. He bought the house. He may even have helped build the house with his own hands, but he's paid for it. And so he gets the opportunity to make the rules. And the rule is not burdensome here. It is not cumbersome or unrealistic or unreasonable. It is for the child's protection. It's to preserve the child's health. It might even be to save the child's life. But the defiant child responds, if that's the rule, then I'm out of here. And there has been a death in the relationship. The father and the child are separated. But by whose choice? But the child's choice, of course. The father's heart breaks at the separation between the two. And he begins to seek ways to reconcile the child to himself. Would the father get the child help? Absolutely. Would the father pay the price for treatment? You know he would. Should the father change the rule to make it easier for the child to come home? No. Because the rule is the right thing. It is for the child's safety. That is spiritual death. God, the builder of this world, the creator of this world, the one who purchased back this world at the cost of his own son, has set down the rules for our protection. But our defiant choices, our disobedience, has distanced us from him and placed a barrier between us. And it breaks the Father's heart. And God has done everything in his power to make reconciliation possible, despite the fact that we desperately hang on to our sin habit. Of the two 
deaths, spiritual death, is far more dangerous than physical death. It, by the way, is the cause for our physical death. When spiritual death occurred in the Garden of Eden, it was what brought physical death as its ultimate result. But the, but the one that keeps us up at night... The one that makes us restless is our physical death. It's not the spiritual death that we dwell on as much as it is our own mortality in this world. And I get that. I do. Don't you think I wonder? You know, don't you think I'm a little bit concerned about how someday I may die? I mean, this is all we know. This world and these relationships that we have. What we experience in this body is everything that has made up our lives at this point in time. It's hard to think about leaving. But the statistics are alarming. One out of one dies. It's been that way since the beginning of time. It's never going to change. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 4 and 5, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But knowing that we're going to die doesn't make that any easier. Knowing that it's going to happen to everybody else doesn't make it any easier. It's still something difficult. And we've got some tough questions we would like answers for that we may not get in this life. For instance, what happens after I die? Does life continue or do I go into some state of unconsciousness? Does the soul sleep in the grave? Is my spirit in a state of suspended animation? No, I don't know. I don't believe we are. I believe we are very much aware and conscious after. We'll talk about that a little bit later. What happens to my body? Will I need it again? Well, sort of. Do people come back as ghosts? No, you will not come back as a ghost. Will I be an angel? No, you will not be an angel. Is there a literal heaven and hell? Yes. Will I know people I love here once I get to heaven? Yes, I think we will know those who have been here with us and those who have gone before. Will I miss people who are not in heaven? I don't know how God is going to deal with that kind of grief, but God has a plan, I'm sure. How old will everyone be in heaven? I don't know, but who cares? It's heaven. It's going to be better than anything here, I can tell you that. Will we be able to eat in heaven? Oh, I pray yes that we'll be able to eat in heaven. <laughs> will I just sit on a puffy white cloud and strum a miniature harp? No, you will not sit on clouds. Heaven is a real place. And the only way you'll play a harp in heaven is if you played a harp here and you want to play one there. It may work that way. What will we do in heaven? Will I get bored after the first one million years? No. You will never be bored in heaven. You are in the midst of a creative God and his creativity, I think, will continue for eternity. And that's just not the nature of a creative God. And so he's not going to let heaven be a boring place. Those are just a handful of the questions that are often asked. Our speculation on the subject has paved the way for novels and movies that cover everything from A to Z, from angels to zombies and everything in between when it comes to this death and dying business. We will not have all of our answers in this world, but we do have enough answers from the Bible to prepare for the world to come. And I want to know what God has to say because he's the one that is our only hope to get us out of this world. 
So what do we know about physical death from the Bible? Well, first of all, physical death has been a part of life in this world since the Garden of Eden, but it, it appears to me that death was not a part of God's plan. God made the tree of life available to Adam and Eve, but did you notice in the story of creation that once Adam and Eve had sinned, once there was this barrier, once there was this separation from God, God prevented access. God literally blocked access to the tree of life. And you think, well, that's not very nice. Oh, yes, it is. Why would God do that? Well, there's an easy answer. So that humanity would not continue living in a perpetual state of separation from him. If they had access to the tree of life, they would forever live in their state of sin. Have, have you ever thought about the consequences of not dying? What if we couldn't die? The blind would always be blind. The, the, the paralyzed would never walk. The injustices of this world would never be made right. The last would remain last. The first would remain first. The least would remain the least. The fatally ill would remain in a constant state of terminal illness and yet never be able to terminate. The aching heart, the sorrowful, grieving heart would never find relief. Here's, here's the deal. God knew that there would have to be an ending to the broken state of this world so there could be a new beginning in a brand new world. No wonder the psalmist writes in Psalm 116 verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Physical death occurs once. That's something else you need to know. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, 28 says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Do you get that? We die once, and then after that the judgment. Reincarnation is neither a Christian nor a biblical doctrine. In the scriptures, we have 10 resurrections in both the Old and the New Testaments combined. 10 resurrections. Everybody that was raised in the Old and New Testaments came back as themselves. Not as someone else, not as something else. There is nothing in the scriptures to indicate that we will ever return. We die once. And by the way, with the exception of Jesus' own resurrection, the rest of these people all died. They were raised temporarily, but they died. And once that death came, it was permanent. It was sealed. Nobody else is coming back to life except for Jesus, who is the first fruits, the first of the resurrected new bodies. And we'll talk about that again in a minute. I'm just telling you, there is no such thing as reincarnation in the Bible. And aren't you glad? I don't want to come back to this world once I'm gone. I don't want to come back as somebody else. I don't want to come back as something else. I want what God has planned next. Here's something else. Physical death happens to the righteous and the unrighteous, the innocent and the guilty, the good, the bad, and the ugly. No distinction. Physical death does not destroy our consciousness. We are very much aware after death. Now, I don't know if it's a parable or if it's a story uh, that actually happened, but Jesus tells this story of Lazarus and the rich man uh, in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And when the rich man is in torment, he lifts up his eyes. He has a conversation with Abraham. His consciousness is, uh, is intact. His memory is intact. His mind is intact. And so from that, we can conclude, I think, at least this much, that when you die, you do not go into some state of suspended animation 
you are still very much aware. You're not asleep, as some some believe. Uh, Here's another thing. Physical death is a temporary state. Our bodies will be raised, but this next time they will be raised immortal, not subject to decay, pain, suffering, and all the stuff here. Uh, This afternoon, uh, go home and read uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 in its entirety. Uh, Go home and read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. This will give you some insight. But let me read just a snippet of verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of a body will they come? How foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean some kind of a, uh, you know, a, a clear entity, a ghost-like thing. It means a body that is designed for life in the spiritual realm, a body that's designed for life in heaven. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we who are left will be changed. These old bodies in which we carry out our life here will be buried in one form or fashion and from the dust of our decayed body. God, like he did in the beginning, made Adam from the dust of the earth. From our dust, God will raise our bodies new and fresh and vibrant, ready for eternity without any of the junk that we have to deal with now in these broken earthly bodies. Now, I don't know about you, but that is hopeful. And it brings us to this next thing that I want to talk about for just a couple minutes, and that is our hope for the world to come is eternal. Our time in this world is temporary, but our hope, our hope is eternal. And why is hope so important? Because it's the only thing that can conquer our fears. This year, the New York Times reported that television commentator Larry King is obsessed with death. His day begins with reading obituaries, and he ponders who will give the eulogy at his own funeral. Larry King has had a heart attack, quintuple bypass, prostate cancer, diabetes, and seven divorces. To stave off aging and death, he takes four growth hormone pills every day, and he plans on having his body frozen so that someday he'll be able to live again when science catches up. Larry King realizes it's a long shot, but this is what he says. Quote, At least it gives me a shred of hope. Other people have no hope, end quote. Now I'm here to tell you, a frozen hope is no hope at all. All right? I wish someone could reach Larry King with the real hope. 
that it is not in a frozen body in the hopes that science may catch up and give him a new lease on life. That the hope that will sustain you even when you come to death's door is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that what will happen on the other side of death will be far greater than anything we can imagine on this side of death. I hope somebody gets to Larry King with that truth. This is why the church matters. Sometimes people ask me, why do you, why do you spend your life preaching? That's an easy answer. Because I believe that Jesus is our only hope and that if I in some way can be used of God to help get the word out so that people can hear that Jesus Christ is the Savior, it will help them prepare for this last great adventure and what lies beyond. Jesus said right before he went to the cross, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. If that's true, and I believe with all my heart that it is true, then every one of us in this room have the responsibility to get this message out to as many people as possible so that they will be prepared for this day when it comes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 14, or chapter 4, verses 13 and 18. In this passage, Paul speaks about hope. He said, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And then he talks about the second coming of Christ in between these verses and the glory that will be coming. And then he ends up with verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This whole passage was written to inspire hope so that your grief is not like the world's. That your grief is, yes, I'm sad. Yes, I feel empty. But I know what's on the other side. And I know who's on the other side to take care of everything. Hope is indispensable. No matter what tomorrow holds, it is not an ending in Jesus Christ. Regardless of the pain and the tragedy, the future is brighter than anything we can experience in this world. Because this world is all temporary. So don't put all of it into this world. Put your life, your energy, your resources into what is yet to come. That's where our hope is and why it's so important. And it makes no difference, folks, if you are buried in the earth, cremated, buried at sea, devoured by a wild animal, just as the seed must decay to produce new life. So your body and my body must be buried and decayed so that out of that God will bring new life. You'll have a new body, recognizable, I believe, but new and improved. Remember Jesus' body after, after the story of, uh, of Easter, the, the resurrection of Jesus? Jesus came back with what we read, the first fruits. Now, what that means is, his is the first example of this resurrection harvest. So you look at the body of Jesus and it was recognizable and people were able to hug him and talk to him and shake his hand and walk along with him and, and he could eat and he fixed food on the beach but then Jesus could pass through locked doors and Jesus could appear and disappear out of their midst. He never did that in his earthly ministry because he was in his resurrected body which is not limited to the physical limitations of this world. It is a glimpse into the kind of glorified body we'll have when that day comes. You will be you, no mistaking about it. But it will be something so grand and glorious that we can't even begin to imagine. And we learn this now so that when the day comes, we can face that last journey with hope. David Winter, one time president of Westmont College, was looking forward to his retirement Shortly before it happened, he suffered a disease that over a period of three weeks 
robbed him of his sight. He went totally blind. That year, as the graduates gathered, he had somebody help him up the steps onto the platform, guide him to the podium where he spoke to the students, now totally blind. And this is what he said. Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Here in this light, the light of his word, the light of his truth, we know what to do to prepare for. When the day comes and it gets dark and doubtful, don't give up of what you know to be true through Jesus Christ. Some people say Christianity is a crutch. I have a friend who says it's, it's not a crutch. Christianity is a stretcher to carry you through tough times. As a matter of fact, it is that stretcher that Jesus, it is that image of that stretcher of carrying us through the tough times that I believe is the picture at the very end that somehow Jesus will come and carry us home. Since our time in this world is limited and since we possess this hope that is greater than anything else that can happen in this world, we need to stay faithful to God and build relationships with others so that we can introduce them to the hope in Jesus Christ. The cowardly terrorists want to kill people in the name of their God. We want to give hope to others in the name of Jesus Christ. And yes, we, when it comes to the end, need to stay hopeful. And every once in a while, every once in a while, God gives us a glimpse beyond our hope just to encourage us. Earlier this year, one of our young heroes in this congregation, Cole Winnefeld, lost his earthly battle to cancer. Cole was an avid superhero fan. It was Batman and Superman and Flash and all the rest of them. As a matter of fact, last Sunday, his family gave me their, the new Bat Cole t-shirt. Cole designed that mask that you saw up there and, and uh, thought of himself as Bat Cole, a superhero. And in my book, he is a superhero, battled cancer for so long as a child, never gave up hope. In the early hours of Wednesday, July the 29th of this year, Cole got ready for his last great adventure. And though his voice had been weak and barely audible in the, in the last couple days, few hours leading up to that, about 5.30 in the morning, his voice got strong. And Cole said, I need a container for my Snuggies so that I can take them with me. Now, the Snuggies were, I think, the leftovers of a childhood blanket, some toys that he'd kept with him all through the years. I need a container for my Snuggies so that I can take them with me. Makes sense. Most people take time to pack when they're getting ready to leave on a journey. And then a bit later... It appeared, as his parents have told me, that he was looking sort of up beyond the walls of the room. And in a strong, clear voice, Cole said, Hi. 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 And then he added, Hi, everybody. How you doing? I can't explain what and who Cole saw. But it was obvious that he was looking beyond the moment. 
And when I heard his words, I couldn't help but think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perhaps God pulled back the curtain of eternity so that Cole could get a glimpse of the destination and with Snuggies in hand could be ready to leave. Or perhaps God did it for us so that we might glimpse what his hope is all about. To be reminded that death is not an ending but a beginning. Later that Wednesday evening, this broken world with all of its injustice and unfairness released its grip on coal and he soared home faster than a speeding bullet. We know that there is no Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Flash, or any of the other favorite characters. Cole knew that too. But I believe that when Cole set foot in eternity, he met someone greater than any earthly superhero. He met the one who would rather die and live without him. And when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you won't be restless and death won't keep you up at night. You'll be able to sleep in the hope that the best is still yet to be.